Welcome to the NLCC Lancaster Podcast. The following message is titled, The Experience, Repentance, Baptism, and the Holy Spirit, and was spoken by Mike Bethel, Pastor Gary Keller, and Chris Gibbs. We hope and pray this message blesses your life. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit us at nlcclancaster.com. This is a wonderful day that the Lord has given us. And the Bible tells us that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let everything be established. And so on this Sunday morning, we are going to have three sermons. Three messages by three different speakers are going to be broadcast across this pulpit on this Sunday morning. Brother Bethel is going to start it out and talk to us about repentance. I'm going to come behind him and talk about water baptism. And following the message on water baptism, Brother Gibbs is going to speak to us about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, in which he and Sister Gibbs have witnessed over the last 11 years over 40,000 people in Malawi receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Praise God. And on one, on one weekend, one weekend in Malawi, they had over 3,000 receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. So I think we ought to praise God for that. So the Lord's doing great things. So you be the timer. I gave each one of them eight to 10 minutes. And so if they go over their 10 minutes, that's great. Because we, we want it all, praise God. So I'm going to open this with a passage of scripture. And then Brother Bethel is going to come and talk to us about repentance. And then at the end of this uh, message today, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, letting everything be established, those who need to come to God in repentance. Maybe you repented a long time ago. Maybe you was baptized a long time ago, filled with God's spirit a long time ago, but you feel your need to repent. Then Brother Bethel and some of the ministers are gonna be right over here. And it would not hurt any of us to come before God and just pray for me that I want to get everything right. How many wants everything right with God? I want everything right with God. Well, it starts with repentance. And then Brother Gibbs and the prayer team will be over here for those who would like to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit or you would like to receive it again right over here. And then if you'd like to be baptized in the wonderful name of the Lord, you see me in the altars and we'll talk about that. So it's going to be a great, I'm excited, praise God. It's been a long time since I've heard three sermons on one Sunday morning. Amen. So let's start. It's, we're, we're calling this today the experience, the experience. And it is Luke chapter 24, starting with verse 44. And Jesus said unto them, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was with you. And all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. That's what we're after today. I want to understand. How many knows that none of us have received everything? 
that we have to continually go into the Word of God. I find new things all the time in the Word of God that they might understand the scripture. And he said unto them, thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. And watch the next verse. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things. And behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass, while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into the heavens. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. And something happened in Jerusalem when they went back there. It happened in an upper room and you'll hear about that today. Brother Bethel is coming right now to talk to us about the importance of repentance. And throughout the scripture, you will find that God encourages every person to repent. Hallelujah. Thank you, Pastor. Praise the Lord, everybody. It's always an honor to stand here in front. Thank you, Pastor, for allowing that in our ministers. And so the eight to ten minutes will start now. Um, you don't necessarily all need to raise your hand. My wife is here today, so... When her eyes go from here to here, then I know it's time. Um, thank you, Pastor. Uh, great, great scripture in, in uh, uh, scripture that you just read. And truly, repentance and remission of sins are separate. They are not the same. Some people confuse those. So let's talk real quick, jump right into this a little bit, repentance. So in Matthew 4, 17, let me share and open with a couple scriptures. The Bible says, from that time, Jesus began to preach and to say... Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And also, if I could open with Romans 2 and 4, because we have to understand sometimes, uh, I, I want to also focus that there is a positive result with repentance. It's a blessing that we have an opportunity to repent. And that's why Paul, writing to the Romans and to us today, the Roman church, the church at Rome, that is, the, the Lord in this chapter, he was talking about judgment. And so just the last part of verse 4 says, not knowing that it is the goodness of God that leadeth thee to repentance. So it's really the goodness of God that we have an opportunity to do that and to repent and to stay in that attitude. And so that word in the original Greek, most of us are aware of to think differently or to, or to think afterwards or to reconsider. And so with that thought in mind, it, it really focuses, when we talk about repentance, on the mind. It, the mind has a, a play in this. And so when we read these scriptures in uh, the Gospels about John the Baptist and Jesus talking about repentance, it's interesting that they are speaking to Jewish people who for hundreds and thousands of years have worshipped the one and true living God and have served God and are serving God. And so after 400 years of no prophetic voice, John comes and then the Lord comes talking about the kingdom that the Lord will bring. I, I say that because it really is when we talk about repentance, 
repentance, it's not just for that one-time initial thing, as Pastor alluded, is it's really to me is an attitude, it's 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 a concept that I have my life, I want my life to be focused on him at all times in my life. No wonder in Acts chapter two, we're very familiar with that passage in verse 38, that that the truly repentance is the foundation before when we talk about baptism and the Holy Ghost, we must truly have found a place of repentance in our lives. And so there are a few things to consider in this uh, short exhortation. So the three aspects of repentance to God, and I would say the first two are maybe for someone for the very first time, but the reality is all three of these must be constant in our life regardless of where our walk is. Number one, the three aspects of repentance to God is, number one, there's an intellectual change. And when we talk about repentance, this has to do with our change of views, turning away from sin, having a desire not to uh, uh, stay in that lifestyle and to maintain that lifestyle away from that. Number two, there's an emotional change. This is a change of feelings that I have about those things. For those uh, like myself, I can go back and think about before I came to the Lord and is there disdain is when I think about those things, you know, you sometimes just shake your head and say, I can't believe that I was maybe involved in that, but thank God that I had an opportunity to repent. Thank God I have an opportunity to do that. And then finally, it's the volitional change. And this is where I think we definitely all can find ourselves even after coming to the Lord. That's a voluntary change of purpose. In other words, it's not just about understanding when someone bap- repents and they baptize and get the Holy Ghost. Understanding their purpose now, amen, is to serve God, to love God, to focus on the things of God, and to maintain that direction in their life. Repentance at times um, is confused with some other definitions. A couple things that repentance is not, hear me today, repentance is not confession. Just because I confess something doesn't mean that I repented. Uh, A person can confess a fault, a sin to a man or a woman or to God, and that's great, but that doesn't mean they have repented in the context of what it means. The good thing is if a person truly has repented, they will make confession. The Bible says in Romans 10, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. In other words, a truly repented person unto God will confess unto the Lord. And that's an important understanding with repentance, as repentance is turning away from sin, but it's not just that, it's about turning to God, not just turning to anything. Repentance involves the Lord Jesus Christ in our life. The second thing is repentance is not necessarily regret. And let me share from Matthew 27. I want to just stop here for a minute. I should have wrote my time down so I didn't go over. 27, 3, and 5. And then Judas, which had betrayed him, and when he saw that he was condemned, when Jesus was condemned, the Bible says it repented himself brought the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders saying, I have sinned and I have betrayed the innocent blood. And they said, what is it? And so he cast the pieces of silver down. He went out and unfortunately hung himself. And so let's look real quick at these two individuals, one being Judas and one being the apostle Peter. So the Bible says in this passage that Judas repented himself. Understand 
same root word, the first part, and don't want to get too much into the, to the, the Greek uh, uh, language here, but the, it's a different word. It, it actually is a little bit different word, and it really means that he cared afterward. In other words, he had regret only. So think about this. If you didn't know the story between those two guys, between Peter and Judas, and all I told you and all we shared was this information. So let's look at Peter. Peter spoke in the garden, I will not deny you. But yet we find those three times denying the Lord, cursing, matter of fact, that last time. And so what did Peter do? He denied the innocence of Jesus Christ. He denied that he even knew Jesus Christ in those times, right? And so we look at this guy, and then the other guy is Judas. So yes, he betrays him in the garden, but what does he say in front of everybody? He said, I have betrayed innocent blood. This man is innocent right here. And he also, in the same context, said, I know this guy, and he's innocent. And he said, what did he say? He said, I have sinned. He made confession. And so if I look at these two guys, and I don't know the end of the story, and somebody would say, well, which one do you think made it out okay? I'm probably going to pick Judas, but Judas did not because Judas only had regret for what had happened. Peter truly, when he went out and wept bitterly, truly repented unto God. And so the difference between the two is Judas looked inward, whereas Peter looked outward. Repentance is looking out. If you only look in because there are regrets, there's no hope in this flesh. The flesh doesn't profit anything. But when you look out, not just to anything, but when you look out to God, that's what repentance really comes. And so Peter, this guy who denied him, who didn't claim to know him, who didn't claim his innocence, found himself through repentance, amen, after an upper room, preaching on the day of Pentecost. He's the one that survived, and that's really all we really hear about usually. And so that's the power, truly, of repentance. Repentance is not forgiveness. We alluded to that in Pastor's opening in Luke 24. Forgiveness means to send it away. Repentance is a little bit different. I thought, and for the sake of time, to kind of on a lighter note, in our household, we have a lot of fun, and many times I'll throw my wife under the bus. She does the same to me, and I'll be laughing, and I'll say, sorry, friend. Have you heard me say that, Sister Cherry? Here's the thing. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to throw her under the bus again. I'm not really repenting. Repentance has changed, and I, and I know we're having a little fun there. And so it really is a desire to change. I can receive forgiveness, but never repent. I just know that person knows that people get, sometimes they ask for forgiveness because they get caught, but they didn't really have a desire to change. People can make changes in their habits and lifestyle without God in mind, and that's just reform. But a volitional choice to change and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ is truly where repentance steps in. Repentance has to do with an arena of submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in their life. That's why Paul, I believe, uttered the words, I die daily. It wasn't that Paul made some grave errors every day, but there was a concept, there was a mindset in this apostle that said, every day I wake up, I'm going to make sure everything I consider, every 
direction of everything I do. Everything I do is based on the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And so it's not about me, but it's about him in our life. And so repentance truly will bring a change of life. Recognition of sin, admission of need, desire to be clean, restitution, commitment, and there truly are works or fruit of repentance. That's why in Matthew 9, and these two wonderful men of God will talk about what I believe as the new bottle and the new wine that Jesus spoke about when putting new wine in an old bottle and how problematic that is. It starts with truly repentance, amen, that a man or a woman can be filled with new wine and find that new place that is truly in Christ Jesus. But I must be willing, amen, just like that old brittle bottle that Jesus talked about that break, I can be, I can get set in my ways and bound in my perspectives, stuck in my thinking. And there might be times where I have to reconsider what the Lord really wants to do in my life or maybe in that situation. That's why Romans 12, Paul said, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. And so I want to make sure I am considering him every time in my life. And maybe that, maybe that time I need to reconsider where I'm at and where I'm going in that situation. Last couple stories, Paul at Mars Hill in Acts 17 found the altar. He said he beheld their devotions. He said, you saw the inscription to the unknown God whom therefore you ignorantly worship. Him I declare to you. Paul did not necessarily discuss the fact that there's something innate in all of us to worship. We've been created by God. The issue that Paul had, that the Lord had, was that it was pointed in the wrong direction because there was not the lack of information. Paul set to set them straight to make sure they would reconsider their element or their allegiance of their worship. But he finished up his discourse in verse 30 and said, In the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. And so today maybe we're having it's an opportunity to have a second thought. I, I've just come as I close today. There's a blessing with repentance. And finally, the last story I'll share is a man by the name of Jonah who was told to go and preach to that wicked city, Nineveh. We know the story that he went the other way. And the Bible says in the second chapter, verse 1, and Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. Some might think that Jonah's repentance started in the fish. But it didn't start there. It started in chapter 1 in verse 11 and 12 when they said, What shall we do that the sea may calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was temptuous. And the fact is, verse 12 said, And he said, Take me up, cast me forth into the sea so that the sea will be calm. For I know that for my sake this great tempest is upon you. You see, what Jonah in essence said is, I'll just be like a dead man. Throw me over. I will not struggle against you. You can do what you want to do. When we truly repent, we become as dead. The dead have no will. The dead are not selfish. The dead don't have bad attitudes. The dead do whatever their handler wants to do with them. And so we live a life that we are 
dead unto sin and we're alive unto him. Paul said it this way as I close. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live not yet not I, but Christ liveth in me and the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. When we truly repent, once again, when I woke up this morning, I got a desire. I just want to be a dead man. It's not my life anymore, but it's the life that Jesus Christ has in me. And so, Lord, help me today to keep a spirit of repentance in my life that my life is focused on you each and every day. And today, if you've never found that place of repentance as Pastor Keller comes, oh, there's great hope. There's a great blessing in it. Amen. There's a great opportunity. It's the goodness of God that you can find true repentance and new direction for your life that only comes through Jesus Christ. If you're glad and thankful for repentance, would you praise the Lord with a hand clap as pastor comes? Great word. word. Praise God. Hallelujah. And there's something powerful that happens when we repent. We are forgiven at repentance, but it's like a child that spilled something on its dress or on its outfit And that child says to you, mom, dad, please forgive me. They repented of it. You forgave them. And it's a beautiful thing to know that they are forgiven. But the stain is still there. But something beautiful happens when we are baptized in water in the wonderful name of the Lord. Because those things that we have repented of are now washed away. And there is no evidence whatsoever. Mark chapter 16 and verse 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Now, according to the plan of salvation, which is the death, the burial, and the resurrection, we find these words in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ For the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And so the remission of sins is the washing away of your past. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, 27. For ye are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Baptism is the circumcision of the heart. It is the putting on of Christ. The Old Testament story that I love to tell about baptism is that all of Israel stood at the bank of the, of the Red Sea getting ready to cross into the wilderness, and behind them was Pharaoh's army. Mountains on both sides. The only way to go was through the water. And we know that God pushed the water back Israel walked across on dry land. The Egyptians that were pursuing them followed them down into the Red Sea and the waters collapsed on top of them and eradicated them from the lives of all of Israel. That's a typology of baptism. In other words, when you go down in the waters of baptism, every sin that you've ever committed, great and small, 
every sin follows you into the water. But the beauty of baptism is the remission. Not one of those sins can come out on the other side. When you come out, you come out as a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things are passed away and behold, all things become new and your past is washed away. So why is baptism so important? Because it is for the remission of your sins, the washing away of your sins. And the beauty of that is God forgets them. He cast them into the sea of forgetfulness, never to be remembered again. They are expunged. They are wiped out. They are ancient history. They will never be remembered. They are discarded forever. They are forever behind you. You can forget about it. If you repented and you were baptized, those sins are washed away forever. And I know that David said, I remember the pit that God brought me out of. You and I will never forget what God has done for us and how he's brought us out and how he's blessed us through repentance and baptism in the wonderful name of the Lord. But if you talk to him about things he's forgiven you about, he has no record of that whatsoever. And I'm thankful today that our hearts can be washed whiter than snow through the baptism of, of water baptism in his name. Listen carefully again to Luke 24, 47, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached how in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. Baptism is a washing and a cleansing of one's conscience. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth now also save us, not the putting away of the flesh, filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Go to Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from the dead works to serve the living God. We are buried with Christ in baptism. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 12, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who raised him from the the dead. Romans 6 verse 3 and 4, know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. The beauty of baptism is everyone of my sins going to go down into that water, but not one of them can come out on the other side. They are washed away, never to be, I think somebody ought to praise God that all of your past is washed away, never to be remembered again. It is the circumcision of the heart. 
Old things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. So today, you can repent. God will forgive you. You can be baptized in his name. God will wash those sins away. And the beauty of the promise of the Spirit is what we're going to hear next by Brother Gibbs. Once again, as he comes, Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Somebody clap your hands unto the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. It's power in forgiveness, power in the blood of baptism. Amen. Acts chapter 2 and verse 1 and 4. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them the utterance or ability. And if we go to the Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 through verse 41, then Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For this promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. In the book of Acts, we see the outpouring of the Holy Ghost, and we see that they begin to speak with other tongues as they receive the Holy Ghost. When people say you receive the Holy Ghost just by believing, you don't find it anywhere in the Bible. When you receive the Holy Ghost everywhere in Scripture, people begin to speak with tongues as a sign that the Spirit of God has now begun to dwell in you. When you study the book of Acts, you will find that the Holy Ghost is not uh, indiscriminate. It likes to find everyone. In the book of Acts, the Jews all received the Holy Ghost. Amen. In Acts chapter 8, the Samaritans received the Holy Ghost. In Acts chapter 10, the Gentiles received the Holy Ghost. And I thank God today that the Gentiles were allowed to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost or we would not be here today filled with it and praying for it and renewed in it. So let's clap our hands and thank God that he opened a door not just for the Jews and the Samaritans, but even the Gentiles received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the women gathered there in the upper room received the Holy Ghost. The disciples all received the Holy Ghost. It wasn't just enough to be with him, but they needed empowered from on high as pastor read that scripture. The Bible says about 120 received the Holy Ghost. So we know very clearly from the book of Acts that the Holy Ghost, it is for everyone. And someone say everyone. Why did Jesus tell us to receive the Holy Ghost? It's because Jesus understood very well that he had spent three and a half years with his disciples. He spent time talking with them, teaching them, equipping them, healing them, loving them, letting them hear his voice every day. John said the books of this world could not contain the volumes of the things that we've seen and heard Jesus do. 
These disciples seen things that we can only dream about. They heard things we can only dream about. There were times that he would reach around and grab hold of one of those disciples as the God Almighty incarnate in the flesh and speak a word to them. Some of us today, we've got to get a word through the preaching. We've got to get a word maybe in prayer time. But they heard the audible voice of the living God. Amen. They had encounters with him. And, and, but Jesus understood. They watched him perform miracles. They were there when he stood at the grave and said, Lazarus, come forth. They were there when he descended into heaven. But Jesus understood it won't be long and there's going to be no more personal interaction. They will not feel my hands. They will not hear my voice. They will not hear my heartbeat as John laid upon him in that last supper. He understood no voice, no touch, no more examples. But Jesus said, I will not leave you comfortless comfortless. It just, it sounds good. It's comforting. It's a nice word in English, but when you look at it in the original Greek, it comes from the word orphanos, which means orphans. Jesus said, I've touched you. I've prayed with you. I've loved you. I've admonished you. I've rebuked you. I've walked through walls for you. I've walked on water in your presence. I've outshone the noonday sun, but I won't leave you as orphans in this world. I'm leaving. I'm going back into glory. But you're not going to be an orphan, John or Peter. You're not going to be an orphan, Matthew. You're not going to be orphan, Chris Gibbs or Mike Bethel or Gary Keller or New Life Christian Center. I'm not leaving you as orphans. And what is an orphan? Simply, by definition, a child whose parents are dead. It's brutal, it's rough, it's a strong statement, but Jesus said, I am your father and the church is your mother and you are my children and I will not leave you as though we are gone and dead. I thank God for the power of the Holy Ghost. I thank God that I can cry out to him and he will hear me. Jesus makes it so plain and clear in John chapter 14 and verses 16 through 20. Jesus says these words, he said, um, my eyes are so bad. You got to get me an appointment. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter. We know what comforter is. I'm going to give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth. So we know the comforter is the spirit of truth. That's why we can follow him, because God is truth, whom the world cannot receive. Why does the world not receive him? Because they don't see him, neither do they know him. But you know him. How do we know him? For he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you and yet a little while and the world will not see me no more. Why? Because he's going back to heaven. But you will see me. How are we going to see him? Because I live, you shall live also. And at that day, what day? Pentecost. You shall know that I am in the Father and ye are in me and I am in you. He has given us his spirit and through the power of the Holy Ghost and we are no no longer orphans. I'll give you that comforter, Jesus said. I will give you that strength. And when we begin to study out where he says, I'm going to give you another comforter, and he begins to talk about these things, it's powerful. When you begin to study out that word, it means one that is called to your side, one who pleads another's cause before a judge, a defense counsel, an advocate, strength to lead into deeper knowledge of truth, and divine strength to undergo 
trials and persecution for the kingdom's sake. Then Jesus says in verse 26 of John 14, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost. Now he makes it so plain. He said the comforter we read in verse 17 is the spirit of truth. Now in verse 26, he says the comforter is the Holy Ghost that the father will send in my name and he will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. In other words, disciples, New Life Christian Center, visitor here today, God has not left us as an orphan. He has given us his spirit and what his spirit can do is greater than what he can do in the flesh because he said it's expedient that I go away so the comforter can come. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Through the power of the Holy Ghost, he is everywhere, omnipresent at once, living and operating through our lives. Jesus understood the power of his presence in our lives. If Jesus knew the disciples who had seen him do so many great miracles and answered all of their questions and he calmed their storms and he gave them clarity and anointing and direction and as Pastor read, he would open their understanding to the scriptures and he gave them faith and he dried away their tears and he hugged them and embraced them and loved them and walked through walls just to spend time with them. He understood that his spirit is to not make us feel like orphans. How much more do we need his spirit if the disciples had to have the spirit? Because they walked with him. They talked with him. They embraced him. And if they need the power of the Holy Ghost, we need the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 8 and verse 14 through 17. For as many that are led by the spirit of God they are the sons of God. Look at someone beside you and say, I am a son or daughter of God according to who you are. For as many that are led, and it's very plain, the Holy Ghost does not force us to serve him. The whole, just like Jesus did not force his disciples to follow him. We remember the story of Jesus coming before the young rich ruler. He gave him opportunity, gave him understanding, gave him direction, gave him an, a, a mindset of how to change his life. But that young rich ruler walked away sad and filled with sorrow. Why? Because God will not force us to worship him. He will not force us to serve him, but he will give us every opportunity to be in his presence. And as many that are led by the Spirit of God, they are now the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. In verse 17, and if children, then we are heirs. We have an inheritance. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, we may also be glorified with him. Jesus is telling us that he is our comforter. We are not going to be abandoned. We are not going to be orphans, but he has given us his spirit to walk with us and talk with us. And I can testify today, you can testify today that how many times in your life have you been in a dark place, in a lonely place? You were all by yourself and the Holy Ghost showed up and stood up inside of you and gave you strength and power and encouragement or a word that you needed. 
needed. I, I've lost count of the times driving through Malawi and not know what was in front of us and feeling a little bit fearful as this scripture said, the bondage of fear. But all of a sudden I heard that voice said, fear not. And I kept on going knowing that he is with me and he will not forsake me and he is with me even unto the end of the world. We have been adopted. And then Paul gets a hold of this, that Jesus said, you're not going to be orphans, but you have been brought into the kingdom. That's why Paul says we have been the received the spirit of adoption. The Holy Ghost takes us from being a position where we have no mother and father spiritually to being brought into the kingdom of God. That's why we cried out, Abba, Father. It was interesting when I began to look at this, the word Abba, it is an Aramaic word. Ab, A-B is a Hebrew word. It simply means father. It was a very... Um, um, it was a very professional way to address your father. It was basically, father, may I go outside and play? No relationship. It was professional. It wasn't personable. And that's the word they use in the Old Testament many times. But Paul gets a hold of the other side of this, the Aramaic version, Abba, A-B-B-A. And that is a term that is intimate. It is close. It's when a child would use it. It was always used by children, not even by parents. Why? Because we have been adopted in through the power of the Holy Ghost. And Paul said, it's no longer Father God, but it's Daddy. I need something from you. It literally translates into daddy. It's a relationship. I don't come before my father and say, father, I need help, but it's daddy. I know you've got the power. Daddy, I know you're able to do something in me. And I know that because of the spirit of God that lives in me. We have received the spirit of adoption as pastor comes. I want us to thank God today that we have received the spirit of adoption. We are no longer orphans. Let's clap our hands and thank the Lord for the power of the Holy Ghost that he has given us. So we are adopted into the kingdom of God. Somebody clap your hands under the Lord and give God praise for the word of the Lord today. Jesus said... If you be natural, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Spirit to them that seek Him? And we are adopted. You know, there's something about I, 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 Joe Parker, Wilma Parker, uh, they had three sons, and uh, the doctor made it physically where Wilma could not have any more children. But you know what happened? Wilma got pregnant. And she is being willed down, this is a true story, willed down the corridor of the hospital to deliver their fourth child that she wasn't supposed to be able to have. And Joe is walking by her and the nurse is pushing her in the wheelchair. And here comes the doctor that was supposed to make it where she couldn't have any children. And she started screaming, this is your fault. This is your fault. And Joe said, shut up. They're going to think you had a relationship with the doctor. No, they weren't excited. Now they are now because they had that fourth child and it was Kristen, their daughter, and so on and so forth. But the fact of the matter is this. I've seen parents that have gone, oh, no, another child. Another, we are pregnant again. Oh, my Lord, we are pregnant. But I have never seen 
adoptive parents with an attitude of, oh no, no, every adoptive parents that I've ever met, they are so excited. They are counting down the days. They are looking for it. And Jesus Christ through the apostle Paul's writings declared that we could be adopted. We did, it did not belong to us, but we've been grafted in. It belongs to us now. This is the grace dispensation. And we are the children of God by the spirit of adoption. And we cry ab above father hallelujah and whatever needs you have today jesus is in this house and that concludes this podcast if you enjoyed this podcast please like share and subscribe and for those of you on itunes leave us a good rating thank you for listening to the nlcc lancaster podcast